The Lord be with you. A reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to John. Peter turned and saw the disciple following whom Jesus loved, the one who had also reclined upon his chest during the supper and had said, Master, who is the one who will betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to him, What if I want him to remain until I come? What concern is it of yours? Follow me. So the word spread among the brothers that the, that, that disciple would not die. But Jesus had not told him that he would not die, just what if I want him to remain until I come? What concern is it of yours? It is this disciple who testifies to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things that Jesus did, but if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world would contain the books that, could, that would be written the gospel of the Lord. Note the unusual way that our gospel reading began. Instead of simply saying a reading from the Holy Gospel according to John, we say a reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to John. These are the last words of the Gospel of John, in fact, and that word conclusion for us is very important with regard to where we stand in the liturgical year, the unfolding of the mysteries of Jesus Christ. Because what also is moving to its conclusion and will in fact conclude tomorrow is the season of Easter, which concludes with the great celebration of Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is not its own feast day. It is the completion of the Easter celebration and the Easter season. And so the season of the resurrection is moving toward its conclusion as well. And moving forward from tomorrow, we are back in ordinary time, where we will not be reading from the Gospel of John, but on Sundays we will be hearing from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. And on our weekday readings, we likewise will not be hearing from the Gospel of John, but we will be hearing from Matthew, Mark, and Luke for the remainder of the weeks of ordinary time. And so we don't just have the last words of the Gospel of John, we are actually concluding right now our seasonal engagement with St. John's Gospel, which the Church features heavily during the weeks of Lent, during Holy Week, and then through the season of Easter. And over these very significant festivals and these significant celebrations, the gospel that the church privileges to unpack them for us is St. John's Gospel. Having then said that, it is wise now to turn to the way the gospel itself concludes. And it concludes with a note about completeness and essentially says, 
The gospel is concluded and it is necessarily incomplete. Note, he says, there are many other things Jesus has done and I haven't told you about them. I haven't written about them. And in speaking that way, he is not saying, I've been holding back and not giving you the information you need. He is framing for us what it is to engage a gospel in the first place. While there is historical content in the gospels, they're not history books. While there are, while there are the details of the life of Jesus in the gospels, they are not biographies. And they do not attempt to be comprehensive in the way somebody who is hungry for every detail would find them to be. Rather, they are complete in the sense that they have spoken the truth of the mystery, the life, and what God has done in Jesus so that we can receive it, understand it, and believe it. Note the difference. The Gospels are not written to provide mere information. They are written for our coming to believe and our coming to personally know Jesus because there is much about Jesus Christ that cannot be written and must be experienced. Just like in your life, I can read about you, but that's not the same as knowing you. And so note what the Apostle says here. These mysteries have been put before you because of their importance and their ability to bring you into knowledge of Him, to bring you into a relationship with Him. But because the Lord is who He is, we can never completely explain Him. We can never completely communicate Him because He's God. And if we could wrap our heads around Him, we wouldn't be dealing with God. There is always more of God, always more of the Lord than we have right now. In fact, there's a marvelous sense in sacred scripture that God is somebody who is always on the way. What an interesting idea that is. He is always on the way even when he is with us. In other words, the Lord is with me now, but there is more. And that more is also coming toward me. And so that as I grow and live and come to know him, there's a glorious incompleteness about it. Even as he completely gives himself to me, there is always more for me to receive, always more for me to know, always more for me to meet. And know what that implies about the Lord. There is something about him that is always moving toward us, always seeking us, always available for us. And what a marvelous image of eternal life that is. Because we do not look for a static happiness in heaven. But if we look for a real communion of love and life with Almighty God, note that the joy of knowing him gloriously and mysteriously only increases through all eternity because there is always more of his goodness, always more of his wonder, always more of his love.
an eternally increasing happiness, an eternally increasing peacefulness, an eternally increasing mercy and kindness, an eternally increasing beauty. Note what the apostle is implying as he says, oh, there's more. And if we try to write them all, the world itself couldn't contain the written pages that would be produced. What a wonderful way of saying Jesus is greater than the world. That the Lord is greater than all of human experience and all of humanity's ability to embrace, contain, and understand. That His is a greatness and a goodness that does not run short, that does not run out, that is frankly inexhaustible. How absolutely wondrous that is. And in speaking that way, he is saying, and what I have written is at the service of you meeting that more. It's necessarily incomplete in its completeness. He completes his writing, but he has given us a gospel, just like the other three gospels, that on the one hand is a complete book and yet on the other hand opens our lives to that glorious abundance that still is waiting to come to us in our own lives individually and as his people. And note how in its own wonderful way that captures and communicates the very essence of the sacrament that we celebrate here. Notice, the Lord will be present on our altar under the aspects of bread and wine. And you will come forward to receive him, and he will give himself completely to you. And yet, he's still able to give himself equally completely to the person who comes next in line. And his presence doesn't run out. Note how wondrous that is. Note how limitless that really is. The Lord is not limited by the number of people in the congregation. It's not that if we suddenly have too many people, there's not going to be enough Jesus. Rather, everyone receives the same Lord who gives himself with the same completeness to every one of us. We may have varying degrees of ability to receive, but that's on us. But the Lord gives himself completely without ever exhausting himself. And when we come back tomorrow, he's available to do it again. Note how marvelous that is. On the one hand, the Eucharist is a complete experience. And yet on the other, it's gloriously incomplete. Because there is more to receive. There is always more of him. And for 2,000 years, this has been the case. Imagine that. Day after day after day, for 2,000 years across the globe, not simply in this little place, but in thousands of other places even today and across the centuries, tens of thousands of places, and the Lord is present, and he gives himself completely. 
to each one who approaches. And he never runs out of himself to give. There is more that the Lord has done. But I imagine that if these things were to be described in detail, the world could not contain them. Notice how infinite this simple, common experience of receiving Holy Communion really is. And we do not even scratch the surface of the greatness of this mystery with these few words. And yet the mystery is great and abundant in a very overwhelming way. This Lord who always has more, who is always mysteriously and gloriously on his way to us. And now backing up to the beginning of our gospel account, this marvelous interchange between St. Peter and Jesus about somebody else. And think about that for a moment. How much of our lives do we spend talking about somebody else? And how many conversations do we have which literally begin, what about him? What about her? Often they're negative conversations. Sometimes they're positive, but they are frequent and regular, aren't they? And so here is St. Peter. Jesus has just questioned him three times. Do you love me? And they're still in conversation. And Peter has finally got to that point of professing his love for the Lord. Jesus says, follow me, and you think we're done. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, Peter sees the other guy over there. The guy who leaned against Jesus' heart at the Last Supper. The one who has a particularly close, even affectionate relationship with the Lord. And he looks over at him and note the question, Lord, what about him? How absolutely natural how gloriously common that is. Lord, what about him? And the answer of Jesus is illuminating and helpful here. Jesus essentially responds to Peter with a question. Well, what about him? What about him? And know what the Lord does. He says nothing definite. He says, what about him? What if, note how Jesus continues with the questions. What if I said to him, I want you to remain until I come back? What if I said that? What does that have to do with you? Note the thrust of Jesus' question. You need to be about what I'm asking you to do, not worrying about what I'm asking him to do. You need to follow the instruction I have given to you, because my instruction for him isn't for you. By definition, it's for him. And in speaking this way, the Lord is underscoring for us a temptation that can invade our hearts and our spiritual lives. How often in our own lives have we had the experience, and it begins in childhood, 
Somebody asks us to do something, and we look at another person in the room and say, well, what about him? Why don't you ask him to do that? What about him? Why do you give him the benefit and I don't? What about that? And notice how there can easily be a certain kind of odd entitlement. The sense that if you're making a demand on me, it's not fair if you don't make the same demand on somebody else. I know what Jesus is saying. I don't work that way. I have a word for you. And you need to be about responding it. And I've got a word for him. And that's between me and him. And he needs to respond to what I ask of him. You don't. Jesus is not saying, do not be concerned with one another. He's saying, don't be preoccupied with one another because that's what knocks us off point. We get so preoccupied, well, why isn't he doing what he's supposed to be doing? And it's, quick, it's amazing how quick that becomes the permission I give myself not to do what I need to be doing. Well, if he doesn't care, why should I? Well, if he gets to do that, I'm going to do that too regardless of whether or not that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Note how easily this attitude can creep in and how quickly it short circuits everything. So the Lord is not saying, don't be concerned for your brother. The Lord is not saying, don't help him respond. The Lord is not saying, if you see something wrong, yes, point it out. But don't try to live his life for him. And don't try to make his mission yours, because it doesn't work that way. I've given you something, and you know that. And before you worry about him, worry about your response. What a helpful, what a helpful lesson this really is. Because all too often we can fall into that trap, we compare ourselves to one another. Well, I'm not as gifted as she is, and so there's nothing I can do. And the Lord's response is going to be, don't you worry about how gifted she is. You worry, even if it's a small gift, about the gift I gave you to use, and you use it. Don't worry about whether he or she is lazy. Be about what you need to do. And if you take care of that, first things First, everything's going to fall into place. It is not ignore one another. It is not don't worry about one another. But the unity I want you to have is a common living, not a common fretting about one another. And so what if I asked him that? That's my business with him, not his with you. And so you, don't worry about that. You follow me. And notice that those are the last words that Jesus says to Peter in the gospel. You follow me. We think the call to follow the Lord comes at the beginning. But the simple truth of the matter is it also comes at the end. And it happens in the middle, too. There are several moments in the life of St. Peter where Jesus turns to him and says, follow me. Because if we continue to follow Jesus only the way we begin to, we haven't grown. 
And as we come to know the Lord, the Lord gives us a second call to follow Him, which reaches deeper into the heart. Because it's not just that there's more of Jesus for us, there's also more of us to give to Him. And so Jesus, in that repeated command, follow me, is calling that more out of the heart of His disciple. We begin in a shallow way, everyone does. But as we come to know Him, we are capable of following in a deeper way. And as we navigate that deeper way, the Lord, who always has more for us, opens our lives to become even more. And so even as we move in a deep way, the Lord is going to say sooner or later, but there's more now. Not just more of me, but more of you. Follow me. And so here it is, the completion of the Gospel of St. John. Follow me. Don't follow me like the beginning. Follow me like one who really knows me. Follow me like one who has really invested himself in me. Follow me like one who has really received the more that I have for you. Don't worry about somebody else's more or less. Receive the more I give you and follow me. And in no small measure, when we come forward to receive him in Holy Communion, even though our ears aren't going to hear it, you hear those words, the body of Christ, and you say your amen, even as you take him into yourself, it's really him who is taking you to himself. And don't be surprised if in one or the other corners of your heart you hear that word, follow me, follow me, amen.